Hey everyone, Dan Howell here at Gunnison St. Joe's with the GSTJ podcast and on today's show we're going to be talking with one of our amazing, simply amazing general surgeons, Dr. Alex Wade is going to be joining us today on the show. We're going to be talking all about colorectal cancer awareness month, how you can prevent colorectal cancer and why 45 is the new 50. Here we go. Hey everybody, welcome back, and uh, joining me today on the show is the amazing general surgeon, the one and only Dr. Alex Wade. Dr. Wade, how are you? I'm well, thank you. So now for those people who are watching and listening, uh, who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, you're based in Viroqua, but you come to Hillsborough, what, every other week? Almost exactly every other Wednesday. Um, sometimes that falls on a week we're taking a family vacation or something. So it's not exactly every other Wednesday, but it has been for probably seven years or so now. Um, my partner, Dr. Thorstensen, came to Hillsborough before I did, and I was um, never really sure why he did that, because we've got a great thing going here in Viroqua. But um, when he left Gunderson, we um, decided that maybe I should give it a try. And I've loved it. I really like making the drive. I like meeting the people. And, you know, of course, the hospital's great. It wasn't always so. Um, so we've been there since before the new hospital was built. And the new hospital is fantastic. But even in the old hospital, it was just a wonderful place. Um, we like taking care of the people and meeting the locals. Um, just starting to feel like home almost. <laughs> so I ask this of everybody that comes on the podcast, uh, but you I'm particularly interested in because I'm kind of queasy uh, when it comes to healthcare. What is it that made you go, I'm going to get into general surgery? Oh, I love this question. Um, I actually started the path towards being a doctor, wanting to be a surgeon, and I never really wanted to be anything else. I wasn't sure exactly what kind of surgeon I wanted to be, but it felt like a, a really good fit for me in terms of puzzle solving and using um, using my smarts, but not just my smarts. I meet a lot of people. I'm from New Mexico. And my parents worked at the National Labs in Los Alamos, and there's a lot of people that have a lot more smarts than I ever will, but they're, they're sitting there looking at a piece of paper, and they're not actually changing anything except maybe our body of knowledge. And I wanted to not only solve the puzzle, but then put the pieces together myself. Um, and general surgery was a way to do that for the most variety of puzzles. Uh, a neurosurgeon or a heart surgeon would have been great, but you're limited in, in the variety of the puzzles that you get to solve. So general surgery was just a really good fit for me because of the variety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is an odd question, but do you have really good knife skills in the kitchen because of this? Like, I just imagine you being able to cut like Florentines really well, French cut beans. 
Uh, or do you not do not venture into the kitchen much? I don't know if that's a fair question because before I went to medical school, I actually put myself through college working as like a prep cook or an assistant chef in restaurants. And so I think, to be honest, I learned more working with chefs about how to handle a knife um, than than most surgeons learn just learning how to be a surgeon. <laughs> Surgery is about knowing what not to cut as much as it is about mm-hmm. what and how to cut. So I, I was always pretty good in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're here to talk about uh, colorectal cancer and uh, it's colorectal cancer awareness. But the CDC has uh, recently changed their screening guidelines. Uh, I'm hearing that 45 is now the new 50. We doctors, we like round numbers. And I think they came up with 50 just somewhere out of the air. We know that the chance of getting colon cancer increases as you age. And so 50 is a nice number because people who are 50, they don't feel as young as they used to, but they're still young enough that finding something um, early could make a meaningful difference. If you wait until someone has colon cancer, then you're not getting the preventive benefits of colonoscopy. Um, So 50 felt like the right number for a long time. Um, But we're also scientists and we sit there and we look at our data and our outcomes and we say, how come come there's still people coming in at 50 years old with a colon cancer? They came in with a, you know, they they were told to wait till they were 50. They had no troubles. They had nothing that they were, you know, suffering from. And at their very first colonoscopy at 50 years old, they have a colon cancer, which meant we weren't catching some cancers as early as we could have if we had started earlier. And that's a balancing act because um, that means the average person will have at least one additional colonoscopy in their lifetime. The the companies and um, agencies and so forth that pay for those are still trying to figure out whether that makes sense. Um, it, it's a benefit that they're required to provide by the government. It saves them money long term. Each successful prevention of colon cancer really saves an insurance company a lot of money. Um, but if you, with a basically a stroke of a pen, say now you've got to do an extra one for each person, then the, the math starts to get troublesome. So even though agencies and societies and you know preventive services task force and so forth have all, I shouldn't say all. Many of them now agree that 45 is probably a better time to start. The insurance companies haven't embraced that quite yet. So the average person is still somewhat uncertain as to whether or not their colonoscopy would be covered by their insurance company if they came in at 45. Um, And I think the safest thing is always to ask. You can call your insurance company and ask them. You can ask us to call your insurance company and ask them. The hospitals generally want that information in advance. Uh, We're going to take care of you either way, but we want to know how much of a fight are we in for if we send a bill to your insurance company and you had a colonoscopy at 45 years old. If your doctor says you need it, if the National Preventive Services Task Force says you need it, the National Cancer Societies say you need it, then then let's let's get it done and let's get it paid for. Um, but there's oftentimes a few phone calls that have to be made to make sure that that goes as smoothly as a person wants it to go. Mm-hmm. And our guys, our team here at St. Joe's, 
you know, we have we have staff that are available to kind of help people navigate that world of insurances and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, anybody listening should should definitely give us a call. Um, so, what kind of what kind of symptoms uh, should people be mindful of uh, in, in this kind of area, and and what kind of screening options are available? I know there's colonoscopy, but I know as medical knowledge advances, we, we're getting a few others too. Yeah. So let's. Let's be careful to separate screening from other tests. So a screening test is one where a person wouldn't have any symptoms at all. They basically have reached 45 or 50 years old. They've decided it's time to do it, even though there's no trouble at all. Um, and so the, the example I always use is similar to a mammogram. A screening mammogram is one that you get just because you got a letter in the mail saying it's time. Uh, it's not one that you would get because there was a lump or there was a previous biopsy results that need followed up on or something like that. Colonoscopy is kind of the same way. If there is rectal bleeding, if there's changes to the bowels where the stool used to be big and now it's small or something, then those are all good reasons to get a colonoscopy. But those would generally be um, symptoms that would then make it that this isn't a screening test anymore. If you come to me and you have a problem and I think the right way to solve that problem is with a colonoscopy, then that's a diagnostic colonoscopy. Same as if you had a broken bone and you went to the emergency department, they said, we'd like an x-ray. That's not a screening x-ray. It's a diagnostic x-ray. And so if we identify a problem or symptoms and the colonoscopy is the right test to sort that out, then that's a diagnostic colonoscopy. And it's probably the right thing to do, whether or not it's you know, completely paid for by insurance or not. I think if you had a broken bone, you'd say, well, I know the insurance is probably going to give me some portion of this bill, but I still need the x-ray. I still want to see how badly it's broken and, and let the doctors, you know, have the information they need. Um, on the other hand, a screening test can be anything from, um, there are cards that we will send you in the mail and you put a little bit of stool on the card and send it back and we test it for things. And it used to be that what we tested for was blood. But of course, there's a lot of reasons a person could have blood, whether it was hemorrhoids or diverticulosis or a bleeding stomach ulcer or inflammatory bowel disease. And so you're, you're not as certain that those results were meaningful to you if all it was testing for was blood. So some of the newer tests test for things that are more specifically related to the problems that can ultimately lead to colon cancer. Every test that we do is designed in a certain way um, to be, when we, when we have to worry about whether this test was wrong or not, am I more worried it's telling you you've got something you don't have, or am I worried that it's telling you you don't have something that you do have? So the fit is exactly the same way, where it is not going to tell you you're negative unless you're negative. But it might tell you you're positive, even if you're not really positive. In other words, it's designed, if it's going to be wrong, it's designed to say there's probably a second look needed. And that second look is almost always colonoscopy. In the past, we used to do things like a sigmoidoscopy. Sigmoidoscopy was something that um, was available to be done in my clinic without sedation. You still had to drink the gallon of salt water or whatever your doctor asked you to do to get cleaned out. Um, but it was thought to be uh, easier to get people to say yes to because they didn't have to get sedated and maybe it was less expensive. It was 
almost as uncomfortable um, as a colonoscopy is, but of course you did not have the benefits of sedation. And of course at, at Gunderson St. Joe's, we have, um, we have an anesthetist. So you, you probably won't feel a darn thing when we're doing your colonoscopy. So almost nobody gets a flexible sigmoidoscopy these days. The other thing about that is it only looks at the last one third or so of your colon which leaves a, a fairly substantial portion of your colon unexamined. And that portion of the colon is, is as likely to have colon polyps or um, cancers or precancers as, as the rest of the colon. So that's kind of fallen by the wayside in favor of colonoscopy. Currently, the recommendations are if you are... Um, if your average risk or high risk, if your doctor says that it's healthcare provider says that it's not inappropriate to do a colonoscopy for you, there's no contraindications to, to sedation. You're not going to have trouble with the sedatives. Then you should have a colonoscopy if that's available to you. And that's where I come in. I try to make it available to as many people as possible. Dr. Trombetta, Dr. Schmoos all do colonoscopies there. Um, and when we're gone, there'll be somebody else that comes in to do colonoscopies uh, because we think it's the right thing to do. Um, some folks don't want a colonoscopy uh, for any number of reasons. It, it is an invasive test, though, uh, to be perfectly honest, I, I tell folks, it's a lot like me just taking a camera and a flashlight and looking inside a little bit. Um, and, you know, we've all been to the doctor and they take the wooden tongue depressor and say, open wide and say, ah, and they're trying to see as far mm -hmm. down as they possibly can. And we've got special tools that just allow us to see a little bit further. Um, and they're very safe. There's nothing that we do uh, that is perfectly safe, but the rate of um, the, the trouble that comes from colonoscopy is extraordinarily rare. Um, we do meet folks who've got stories to tell. Well, my uncle, they nicked his bowel and something bad happened as a result of that. And, and, and we know that that does happen, um, but so many people are getting colonoscopies these days, and so many of them are having... Uh, absolutely no trouble with it. We're starting to recognize that the likelihood of something going wrong, whether it's a nick in the bowel or bleeding or difficulties with the anesthesia, those things are much more likely if you wait. If it's an emergency colonoscopy, if you come in with trouble already and we need to do colonoscopy just to figure out what that trouble is, that increases the risk. If you have a scheduled colonoscopy and your healthcare provider says this is going to be okay, and you and I have a chance to talk beforehand, and you got completely cleaned out for your colonoscopy, all of those things lower the risk of a colonoscopy. And if you don't fit in those categories and the risk is going to be high, then we should probably talk about other tests because none of us want anything bad to happen to you either. But we've got CT scans. We've got um, barium enemas are still a thing that exists. We don't do very many of them, but there's other ways for us to get the information that we need if we think that the risk of a colonoscopy is too high. So we try to lower the risk as much as we can. We try to change what we're thinking and how we can get the answers we need if we think that the risk is too high. We really try to reduce the, the nuisance of it. We've got great nurses that are going to take great care of folks here. Um, I don't think anybody ever says, hey, thanks, that was awesome. But, you know, people <laughs> pull away from the experience saying it wasn't as 
bad as I thought it would be, you know? So, yeah, I was going to ask you, so I haven't had a colonoscopy. I'm not, I'm not old enough yet, but when, when I talk to people about colonoscopy who have had them, they always say the prep is the worst. How, how bad is it? And do you have any, are there any like insider tips and tricks to kind of like lighten yeah. the impact? Yeah. The prep is interesting because, you know, everybody's a little bit different and uh, we'll meet people who um, have had bowel issues their whole life. And uh, then we meet people who are cup of coffee and I'm like clockwork, doc. And um, so finding something that works for everybody is a little bit tricky. We have... Um, medical assistants, nurses, um, helpers of mine that become helpers of yours to say, well, let's get this right. The safest colonoscopy is one where the bowel prep worked and it worked well. The most effective colonoscopy is one where it worked well. So some of our choices in the old days, we meet folks that came in 10, 15 years ago and said, well, the doctor just gave me a little tiny bottle of stuff and I drank it and it cleaned me out and it was wonderful. It tasted like seven up. Um, and that's still around, but they, um, the easier the bowel prep is, oftentimes the less safe it is. Some of those things had some pretty powerful medicines in them, and almost everyone did okay. But every now and then, somebody would have heart trouble or liver trouble or kidney trouble as a result of those. The bottom line is, is that you're probably carrying a little bit more stool around in you that is sort of not necessarily going to hit the commode tomorrow, but it's on its way. And so if we clean you out, we're cleaning out several days worth. Um, it's a lot of work to get the colon cleaned out. Most commonly in America today, someone's using somewhere between a half gallon and a gallon of um, a fluid that you drink. And that fluid has a medicine that cleans you out. And then oftentimes it also has electrolytes. So think of like Gatorade, which is basically salt water with some sugar and flavoring and a little bit of color. Um, and Gatorade has tried a lot of different things to make it taste better. You can go to the Walgreens or Walmart or Peterson's and there's 12 different flavors of Gatorade because <laughs> it's really hard to disguise the fact that there's electrolytes in there. And the electrolytes are there to replace the electrolytes you might lose when we make you drink a gallon of water. The water is there to carry the medicine and the medicine is there to do the work. Um, that said, we've had really good luck using about two quarts, which is a sneaky way of saying half a gallon. Hopefully two quarts sounds like less than half a gallon. It's exactly the same. But we've, we've had folks that will go get a two-quart Gatorade bottle and basically pour a little bit of the Gatorade off the top. And then they put the medicine in the Gatorade bottle, shake it up really good. You have to take some laxative tablets. It's kind of the Kickstarter. And then you just drink that Gatorade bottle over the course of a couple of hours. And sure enough, it gets you cleaned out. There is... Um, that's a process that doesn't just happen. The poop doesn't just disappear. So there is a fair bit of time sitting on the commode. I always tell people, this is the time to get the good toilet paper because you're going to poop a lot to get cleaned out. Um, and I think most folks say, well, the prep was the worst part. 
partly because they're asleep for the colonoscopy. Um, it is the worst part. It's certainly the worst part that you remember, but even then it's it's not that bad. It's it's not as bad as most people are expecting. And if you only have to drink the half gallon, if you don't have bowel troubles every day all the time, if you're a person who's fairly regular, we will set you up for the half gallon or the two quarts of Gatorade with a little bit of um, Dolcolax as a Kickstarter. And usually it's not that big of a deal. We have had good luck with that for about 10 years now. So when, when, you're, when you perform these colonoscopies, the main thing that you're looking for is, is polyps and, you know, signs of, signs of disease, that kind of stuff. Talk us through that that bit of the process what when you when you're in there and you find a polyp like what happens so i love this question too just so that we're clear though about 75% of women and about 65 to 70% of men won't have any polyps they'll come in for a colonoscopy because they were told to do so they'll uh, do their bowel prep we'll take a look inside and we'll say you didn't have anything and if you don't have a family history uh, mother, father, brothers, sisters, or children of yours with colon cancer, colon diseases, if you didn't have any polyps, if you don't have any other things going on, then we'll say come back in 10 years. Um, so that's most of our patients. Most of our patients have no polyps. They don't have to come back in five years or three years or two years. So people who do have polyps most frequently have one or two polyps. The polyps are smaller than my fingernail. We're able to remove them during their colonoscopy, they don't need a separate procedure. They don't have to come back for surgery. A polyp is just like a little growth on the wall of the colon. And we have a couple different instruments. The most common way is this tiny little wire lasso, literally just a few millimeters in size. And it literally just pulls the polyp off and we send it to the pathologist. And the pathologist looks at it under a microscope. And 80% of polyps are precancer polyps. Most doctors call them benign, even though they would turn into cancer if we left them there. We don't leave them there. We take them. We get rid of them completely. But a precancer polyp is an 80% chance. The other 20% is a polyp that would not have turned into cancer. That can be what we call a hyperplastic polyp. It's most like uh, scar tissue or um, just a growth of normal tissue, whereas a polyp is a growth of abnormal tissue. And we think that it takes about 10 to 15 years for a polyp to turn into cancer. And that's why we don't let someone go more than 10 years without a colonoscopy once they once they reach that level of average risk. When you're younger, you're at a below average risk. But when you're older, you start to be at a higher or average or higher risk. And so we remove the polyps during colonoscopy. If a polyp is too large, which is very rare, um, but if a polyp is too large to remove during colonoscopy, then we'll biopsy it, take little tiny pieces. We'll take a lot of pictures. Sometimes I can even tattoo that area so that I can say, this is exactly where the area was that I was concerned about last time. Maybe I was able to remove the polyp, but I want to be sure when I come back in five years that I can see the exact spot that that polyp came from and say, things still look good. This isn't like a freckle or a mole where you can say, you can show it to the doctor and say, does that look like it's changing? You need us to look inside. You can't follow it on your own. It's not going to cause you trouble. It doesn't necessarily change anything. 
I had a polyp that was one step short of colon cancer in my own colon, and it was causing me no trouble at all. So I take colonoscopy very seriously. So I think um, it's possible that any any person could have polyps. That's one of the reasons we lowered that screening age to 45 is we're starting to recognize that it's not just people who've got a family history. And the younger you are when it hits you, probably the more dangerous it is. Um, so the the idea of um, the idea of not knowing, you know, wondering whether mm-hmm. something's going on in there, uh, that's that's too much for some folks. And and the idea that you could find out for sure, you could come in one morning having drank all this medicine, gotten all cleaned out, and find out a few hours later whether there's anything going on. We'll wake you up and we'll tell you you're fine. You're absolutely fine. Come back in ten years. So and the, and the thing is, when you when you lasso those polyps and you take them out, that's it. Like they they're essentially. Yes. Even bone cancer. This is a really good point because that's one of the things that they really were focusing on 10 or so years ago when they changed the rules was the prevention. Colonoscopy is not only a screening test, which means do you have colon cancer right now, but it's also a preventative measure wherein you might not ever get colon cancer because we remove those polyps. If you have a tiny little polyp today and I remove it, it seems like nothing. But that polyp in me, in me, my own personal self, sat there for 10 or 15 years growing without ever causing me trouble and was one step short of colon cancer. And so I I recommend it because of the not only the screening, let's find out what's going on right now today, but the prevention. If you do have polyps, let me get rid of them so that you don't ever have colon cancer. I'd rather have 10 colonoscopies in my lifetime than one colon cancer, for sure. Mm-hmm. Just fascinating. Just listening to you talk about this stuff, I could listen to you all day, but I know that you have to get back to seeing patients and saving lives and changing <laughs> lives and fixing things. So um, if you have any questions about anything you've heard today, please drop them in the comments below, and uh, we'll be right back after this break. Thank you very much, Dr. Wade. Thank you, Dan. At Gunderson, we're committed to providing safe ways to connect you to the healthcare you need. Whether it's by your side or through virtual options, we're here for you when you need us. Gunderson Health System, we're bringing love plus medicine to you. Hey, welcome back. I want to thank Dr. Wade for uh, joining us today on the podcast. Such a nice guy. Just, just a, a class act, and uh, we're so lucky to have him here at Gunnison St. Joe's, along with Dr. Trombetta and Dr. Schmoose. Um, if it's time, if you're over the age of 45, or have a history of colon cancer in your family, or even polyps, please take the time to reach out to your primary care provider and start the process to prevent cancer. Once those polyps are out, um, if you do have polyps and they find them and they take them out, you can kind of breathe a sigh of relief. Um, and you dodge colon cancer, which is great. Um, On another note, if you're like me, I'm still feeling the effects uh, of the clocks going forward this past week, and I was reminded of the fact that we offer at-home sleep studies here at Gunnison St. Joe's. So if you are always feeling like the clocks have gone forward, 
um, speak to your primary care provider about getting set up for a sleep study conducted in the comfort of your own home. And uh, finally, uh, St. Joe's recently hosted Wisconsin State Governor Tony Evers for a huge announcement. Huge. Colossal. Um, St. Joe's recently received just over $4 million as part of the American Rescue Plan uh, to help build our new clinic in Elroy, Wisconsin. Uh, the new clinic will be in the heart of downtown and provide an economic shot of adrenaline to the community. It's really intended to not only improve the physical health of Elroy, but the economic health as well. The city of Elroy also received just over $2 million to help with upgrades to the site that are needed to support the construction. So a huge congratulations to the city of Elroy. Really excited about this project. It's gonna be done sometime this year. We're gonna be breaking ground uh, shortly and uh, who knows, we will, should be open before the end of the year. Um, that's pretty much all from me for another month. Uh, so until next time, take care. We take it out. Let's lose control. We take